Welcome to The Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This radio program is a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible. And on today's edition of The Word for Today, Pastor Chuck continues with the Sabbath day as we pick up in Exodus chapter 35, verse 1. And now, with today's message, here's Pastor Chuck. And Moses gathered the congregation of the children of Israel together and said unto them, These are the words which the Lord hath commanded that you should do them. Six days shall work be done, but on the seventh day there shall be to you a holy day, a Sabbath, the rest of the Lord. Whosoever does any work therein shall be put to death. Ye shall kindle no fire throughout your habitations on the Sabbath day. So one of the strongest parts of the tradition of the Jews today remains the Sabbath day. And as we mentioned, uh, that really was a neat law. It was made for man. Man wasn't made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man. This is just God's gift to you, the Sabbath day. A day in which you do nothing. A day in which you just kick back and rest. A day in which you just lie around all day long, doing absolutely nothing, not even kindling a fire, just a day of total relaxation. Hey, you would be so much healthier mentally and everywhere else if you'd just take a day off and just cruise, just nothing, just totally relax. But we live in such a geared-up society that I think I might be able to last till about 11 o'clock in the morning, then I'd be climbing the walls. But we need to learn to relax more. We need to learn to just kick back without feeling guilty about it. You've got one day out of seven that God just wants you to kick back and just totally relax and do nothing. God's given it to you. It's God's gift to you. You can take it and enjoy it if you want. If you don't take it, it's not going to damn you or condemn you. That's the way they had misinterpreted the thing, you see. If you dared do anything that violated that Sabbath day tradition, then they were ready to really wipe you out. But in reality, it's just a gift of God for you. You'd be much better off if you observed it. Not spiritually. It won't make you any more righteous than anybody else. But just physically, you'd be a lot better off. Mentally, better off. Moses spake to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, This is the thing which the Lord commanded, saying, Take ye from among you an offering unto the Lord, and whosoever is of a willing heart, let him bring it an offering of the Lord, gold, silver, and brass. So now he's commanded to take an offering, but there was one requirement. You could not give to God unless you did it with a willing heart. Now, Paul the Apostle in the New Testament tells us that when we give to God, it should never be by constraint. But as every man has purposed in his own heart, so let him give, for God loves a cheerful, literally a hilarious giver. Now, God doesn't want anything from you that you grudgingly give to him of money, time, service. He wants you to purpose in your own heart what you want to give. Any giving to God must be willing giving on your part to to really be a true gift unto God. Anything else God hates. God would rather you keep it. And so 
That's the requirement God put even under the law. With a willing heart, let him bring it, an offering to the Lord. They were to bring not only the gold, silver, and brass, but blue and purple and scarlet fine linen, goat's hair, ram skins dyed red, badger's skins, and acacia wood, oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil, and for the sweet incense, onyx stones, stones to be set in the ephod for the breastplate, and every wise-hearted among you shall come and make all that the Lord hath commanded. The tabernacle, his tent, his coverings, the tacks, the boards, the bars, the pillars, the sockets, the ark, the staves, the mercy seat, the veil of covering, the temple, the table rather, and the staves, the vessels, the showbread, candlestick, the furnishings, and so forth. And so verse 21 and they came, everyone whose heart stirred him up and everyone whose spirit was made willing, and they brought the Lord's offering to the work of the tabernacle of the congregation and for all his service and for all the holy garments. And they came, both men and women, as many as were willing-hearted and brought the bracelets, earrings, rings, and the tablets of jewels of gold, every man that offered, offered, an offering of gold unto the Lord. And so notice the giving. It's as a person's heart was stirred, and that's always the secret of true giving. As God stirs your heart, as God lays it upon your heart, as, and as you're willing to give, so you should give unto God, but never, never by constraint, never by pressure, never by begging. It cheapens God to beg people to support him. And the children of Israel brought the willing offering, verse 29, to the Lord, every man and every woman whose heart was made willing to bring for all the manner of work which the Lord had commanded by the hand of Moses. And Moses said to the children of Israel, See, the Lord hath called by name Basileel, the son of Uri. He has filled him with the Spirit of God, wisdom and understanding and knowledge in all manner of workmanship. So these talents and abilities given to him by God in, in craftsmen to devise all of these fancy works, the work of gold and silver and brass, the cutting of the stones to set them, the carving of wood. And he put it in his heart that he may teach both he and Aholiab and them that it, he is filled with wisdom of heart to work all manner of work of the engraver and the cunning workman to do the embroidering in blue and the purple, scarlet, and fine linen. Then wrought Basileel and Aholiab, and every wise-hearted man in whom the Lord had put the wisdom and understanding to know how to work all manner of work for the service of the sanctuary. And Moses called Basileel and Aholiab, and every wise-hearted man in whose heart the Lord had put the wisdom, even everyone whose heart stirred him up to come to work to do it. So again, it was God stirring up people's hearts to come and do the work. Every, every fellow that just felt, oh man, I'd like to go down the work. God stirred their hearts. They came and worked. It was done. The work of God was done with willing hearts. The work of God is always accomplished through willing hearts. God stirs a person's heart to do something. And that's exciting to be about around a bunch of men whose hearts have been stirred by God. Where you don't have to constantly be pushing and pressuring and tugging on them. The hardest thing in the world is to try to pastor a church 
whose nobody's heart has been stirred. Man, you, you're just constantly fighting it. But when you get with a bunch of guys whose hearts are stirred by the Lord, well, just like it happened here. Man, you got to put the brakes on. You got to say, all right, that's enough. We got enough. And they spake unto Moses, saying, the people have brought much more than enough for the service of the work which the Lord has commanded to make. And so Moses gave commandment. They caused it to proclaim throughout all the camp, saying, Let neither man nor woman make any more work for the offering of the sanctuary. And so the people were restrained from bringing. Man, that's real revival when you have to tell the people, All right, that's enough. Don't bring any more. We've got enough. Isn't that neat? For the stuff that they have was sufficient for all the work to make it. Actually, they had too much. So they began to make, first of all, the linen curtains that were to cover the tent. And then they began to make these goat's hair curtain that was to go over the top of the linen curtain that had all these fancy embroidery work in it. And then they made the ram skins that they had dyed red as the third covering over the top of the uh, goat's hair. And then uh, they made the boards uh, and the sockets that... Uh, uh, the, of silver that the board set in to go around the perimeter of the tabernacle. Uh, and as you remember, it was 15 feet by 45 feet. And they made these 40 sockets of silver to set these gold overlaid acacia boards in. They made the bars that would run through the rings to hold them in an upright position. And in chapter 38, we are told that the amount of gold that was used in verse 24 for the work and all the work of the holy place, even the gold of the offering was 29 talents and 730 shekels for the overlaying of the tables and the making of the mercy seat and the cherubims and so forth. And the silver that was numbered among the congregation was a hundred talents and a thousand seven and hundred and seventy-five shekels after the shekel of the sanctuary. And so the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, On the first day of the first month shalt thou set up the tabernacle of the tent of the congregation, and thou shalt put therein the ark of the testimony and cover the ark with a veil. And you're to bring in the table and set it in its place with the candlesticks and the altar of gold for the incense before the ark of the testimony. Put the hanging on the door of the tabernacle. Thou shalt set the altar and the burnt offering before the door and so forth. Thou shalt set the laver between the tent of the congregation and the altar and put water therein. And thou shalt set up the court round about and hang the hangings at the court gate. And thou shalt take the anointing oil and anoint the tabernacle and all that is therein, and thou shalt hallow it and all the vessels thereof, and it shall be holy. Now, the opening was to be towards the east. So that would be back behind us by which you would have entered into the tabernacle, the opening toward the east. You would first of all enter this outer courtyard which had these curtains hanging all the way around 75 by 150 feet courtyard with these curtains seven and a half feet high. You would enter through this gate area of curtains on the east end. 
As you came into the courtyard, the first thing that would be in front of you would be the altar of sacrifice, seven and a half feet square uh, on the top and four and a half feet high. Beyond the altar, there would be this brass laver in which the priest would bathe before they entered into this little 15-foot-high tent enclosure. The first covering over it as you would go inside, of course, you would see the gold walls, and you would see then in the ceiling the linen colored embroidery, a work of linen, the first covering over the top, the linen covering. Over the top of that, there would be a goat's hair covering. Over the top of that, there would be these goat, uh, these ram skins that were dyed red. And over the top of that, the badger's skins that were sort of waterproof to keep the thing waterproof inside. As you would enter this gold-staved little building that was actually 45 feet long and 15 feet wide, You'd be entering it also, pulling back the curtain, entering from the east. Directly in front of you, there would be another beautifully embroidered curtain, this curtain having the cherubims embroidered on it, and in front of it, there would be a little golden altar with four horns on it, the altar of incense, where the priest would come and wave the little incense burners before this altar of incense and behind this curtain, then you would enter into a room that was a 15-foot cube. Again, on the walls, on the sides and the back, you would see just the gold of the overlaid acacia boards. Above your head, again, you'd see the fancy embroidered work of the fine linen, gold, purple, blue, and red with the cherubims and all embroidered in it. You would see in this room a golden box with a golden lid, and upon the golden lid there were these two golden cherubim that were carved there on the lid. Of course, you wouldn't see it because only the high priest could see that and only once a year. And thus you have an idea of the tabernacle where God met the people. And thus the thing was made according to the plan that God had given. And now... The time has come, really, for the anointing of the thing. And in verse 9, thou shalt take the anointing oil, anoint the tabernacle and all that is in it. Thou shalt hallow it, and the vessels thereof shall be holy. You shall anoint the altar of the burnt offering and all of those vessels. Sanctify the altar. It will be an altar most holy. Thou shalt anoint the laver, that brass laver, with its foot and sanctify it. Thou shalt bring Aaron and his sons to the door of the tabernacle of the congregation and wash them there in that laver, that bathtub that was there. And thou shalt put upon Aaron the holy garments and anoint him and sanctify him that he may minister unto me in the priest's office. And thou shalt bring his sons and clothe them with coats. And thou shalt anoint them as you did anoint their father that they may minister unto me in the priest's office. For their anointing shall surely be an everlasting priesthood throughout their generations." And thus did Moses according to all that the Lord commanded him, so he did. And it came to pass in the first month, in the second year, on the first day of the month, that the tabernacle was reared up. So the second year they came out of Egypt. On the first which month, which was the celebration of when they came out, because they came out on Passover. 
They then raised up this tabernacle there in the wilderness. And Moses reared up the tabernacle, fastened the sockets, and set up the boards and put the bars in it and reared up the pillars. Now there were four pillars that were across the front of the golden pillars and also on the inside before the uh, Holy of Holies. He spread abroad the tent over the tabernacle, put the covering of the tent upon it as the Lord commanded him. He took and put the testimony in the ark. And so the testimony would be these two little tables of stone upon which had been etched the Ten Commandments. They were put in this ark. And he put the mercy seat above it. He brought the ark into the tabernacle, set the veil of the covering and covered the ark of the testimony as the Lord had commanded him. He put the table in the tent of the congregation on the side of the tabernacle northward. As I say, if it was on the east end, it would be over here on the right side, the northward side without the veil. He set the bread in the order upon it before the Lord as the Lord commanded him. He put the candlestick over against the table on the left side, the south side of the tabernacle. He lighted the lamps before the Lord as the Lord commanded him. He put the golden altar in the tent before the veil. And there he began to burn the sweet incense on it as the Lord commanded. He set up the hanging at the door of the tabernacle, that is the curtain that covered the front, and he put the altar of burnt offering by the door of the tabernacle of the tent of the congregation and offered upon it the burnt offering and the meal offering as the Lord had commanded Moses. And he set the laver between the tent of the congregation and the altar and he put water in it to wash everything. And Moses and Aaron and his sons washed their hands and their feet at it. And then they went into the tent of the congregation. And when they came near to the altar, they washed as the Lord commanded Moses. And he reared up the court round about the tabernacle. That is that seven and a half foot curtain hanging the court gate. So Moses finished the work. Then a cloud covered the tent of the congregation and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter in unto the tent of the congregation because the cloud was abiding on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And when the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the children of Israel went onward in all their journeys. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they journeyed not till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was upon the tabernacle by day, the fire was on it by night, in the sight of all of the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. So can you imagine what that would be like as you are constantly reminded of the presence of God because the tabernacle was in the midst of the camp and the Israelites were encamped all around about the tabernacle and any night you could get up and look towards the tabernacle and you'd see this fire of God hovering over that tabernacle. That must have been awesome. You know, if you, if you had insomnia, you get up at night and you go out to take a walk, looking towards the tabernacle, you'd see this fire of God's presence. During the day, looking towards the tabernacle, you'd see this cloud resting there. When the cloud would lift and move, then the people would go and fold the whole thing up and, and carry it off, and they'd follow the cloud until the cloud would stand still. They'd set the tabernacle, the cloud would come down and set upon the tabernacle, and thus they were led through the 40 years in the wilderness, constantly reminded of the presence of God as they looked at the tabernacle, the place of meeting. But I love that verse that declared the glory of the Lord 
build the tabernacle. Oh, you know, the heavens of heavens cannot contain God, but when you experience the presence of God, the glory of God filling the house, my heart longs to experience more of the glory of God in my life. I would like to see us all just take off someday and just spend the day here, just waiting upon God, opening our hearts to Him and worship and praise throughout the day, just that we might see the glory of the Lord fill His house, the tabernacle, the place of meeting. This is a place where we come to meet God. Of course, we meet God everywhere we are, but this, we're, we're as the body, collectively, we come to meet God. How glorious it would be to see the glory of the Lord just filling this place. We'll return with more of our verse-by-verse Bible study in the book of Leviticus on our next broadcast as Pastor Chuck continues to teach through the Bible. And we do hope you'll make plans to join us. But right now, if you'd like to order a copy of today's message, Simply order Exodus 35 through 40 when visiting thewordfortoday.org. And while you're there, be sure to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck. You can also subscribe to the Word for Today podcast or sign up for our email subscription. Once again, that's thewordfortoday.org. For those of you wishing to call, our toll-free number is 1-800-272-WORD, and our office hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Again, that's 1-800-272-9673. If you prefer to write, our mailing address is The Word for Today, P.O. Box 8000, Costa Mesa, California, 92628. And now, on behalf of the Word for Today, we'd like to thank all of you who share in supporting this ministry with your prayers and financial support. And be sure to join us again next time as Pastor Chuck continues his verse-by-verse study through the Bible. That's right here on the next edition of The Word for Today. And now, once again, here's Pastor Chuck. Father, with Moses, we pray that we might see thy glory. God, we pray that you'll captivate our hearts with thyself, that we will become less interested in the glory of the world and more interested in the glory of God. O Father, demonstrate thy glory to thy people. Let them experience, Lord, the glory of your presence during this week. O God, draw us away from the world and draw us unto Thyself and bring us unto Thyself, Lord, in a special way. In Jesus' name we ask. This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California. Sometimes it's difficult to know what to say or how to help someone who is going through a recent death in the family or a sudden tragedy that's happened. And it's in times like this that we want to be used by God to bring encouragement, hope, and most of all, love to our family and friends who are going through a hardship. That's why I'd like to tell you about a book by Chuck Smith called When the Storm Hits. I'm amazed when I read this book 
that it's able to encourage and strengthen a person and persuade them to look to Jesus and not at their problem. It encourages us to be patient, not to lose hope, and when the storm hits, to get anchored on Jesus, the rock, and don't let go. To order a copy of Chuck Smith's book, When the Storm Hits, please call the Word for Today at 800-272-9673. Or you can visit us online to read a preview of the book by visiting thewordfortoday.org.